Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Hi, Dr. Cohen. Hi, Lauren. Are we live? Yes, we're live. Welcome to Gross Anatomy Podcast, Dr. Cohen. I'm Lauren Taylor. You're Dr. Jason Cohen. And? And what do we do here on the show, Dr. Cohen? We explore the sights, smells, and sounds of medicine and how it relates to pop culture, movies, TV, the world around us, and books. Yep. And unfortunately, a lot of COVID. I know. Well, today we don't have to talk about COVID unless you've got any updates to share with us. I don't really. Well, we, at some point we could touch upon it soon, but not yet. I'm not in the mood. Yeah. Because I, I talk about it way too much. And we talked about it last podcast, so I think nothing's changed, unfortunately, for the better. So, Or things have changed for the worse, maybe, more likely. Right, except that the vaccine is rolling out a little bit. So It is rolling out. <laughs> That's a positive. It's definitely rolling out. And we, so want a we, video, we want a video of you getting the vaccine whenever you do. Are we live? Yeah, we're live. You know, so we're going to talk about COVID just because we're not going to talk about COVID. So... It's at the hospital, the vaccine, Ooh, and and uh, and the doctors have the ability to kind of all, all the healthcare workers. There's a form, you know, that they fill out if they're interested in receiving it. And I must confess, um, I haven't filled it out yet. But you're going to? Question. I'm going to. Okay. I'm not. Okay. I'm not going to rush. I'm, as it is, I'm. Um. You know, there are some people who are like first. Then there are people who are last. I'm a middle guy. So I'm definitely not a rush to the front of the line kind of guy with anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm basically staying consistent with this thing. I'm not an early adopter. I'm not a late adopter. I'm kind of like towards the drop off of the earlies, you know, the beginning of the middle. So and that's kind of where I think I'll be with the vaccine as well. Got it. All right. We wanted to talk about we didn't get to last time was... um the ice bucket challenge and but do you know why we wanted to talk about the ice bucket challenge well i guess it's kind of for a sad reason uh patrick quinn the co-creator of the viral ice bucket challenge died at the age of 37 yeah seven years of fighting with als or lou Gehrig's disease whatever you want to call it yeah which is a tragic thing and and it's amazing how we haven't really made much of any improvements in that although they're working on stem cell stuff and hopefully who knows at some point in fact there's an amazing researcher here uh, named clive svensson who's who's brilliant who's a fantastic guy who's doing uh, a lot of research on things like that with stem cells to try to see if he could help um cool. i would love the- to have him on the show i think a lot of people want to know what's going on with stem cells like in California, we recently voted to add even more funding to stem cells, which we already paid a bundle for. So I would like to see like what's actually happening with all yeah. of that. Yeah, and we actually had him on our pre-med program, and he talked to us and told us to all vote for that thing. Oh, he did? Um, okay, yeah. good. Then I'm glad it won. I didn't know what to, I mean, obviously, I believe in stem cell research. I just didn't know exactly where the money was going to or what, how. And, it, I, and I must confess, I believe in stem cell research, too. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of on the fence about it because that's a lot of money for the exactly. government to say, hey, let's. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So I, I um, it's an, it was an interesting bill. 
So, yeah. Well, yes, I would love to have him on the show and explain it to me as well. But um, so Patrick Quinn died. But I mean, obviously, he suffered very much in his lifetime, but he was able to raise like $220 million. So and a lot of awareness with the ice bucket challenge. A lot of awareness. So I'm assuming it went to a lot of families suffering from ALS and different things, maybe other stem cell research areas. Maybe, yeah. But And he created that ice bucket challenge, and a lot of people wound up doing it. And, and uh, it was pretty impressive, you know, how wide and far that ice bucket challenge thing got to be. And then people would use it for other different sorts of challenges and things like that. Right. I think you and I should start our own... I know. I don't Not know. Not an ice bucket challenge. Is it a certain <laughs> month that they do it? I don't really know. I just remember, I remember it starting and it like seemed like celebrities were always dosing each other with ice. I don't, right. I don't know when it started. Like what they month? Were do- yeah. Yeah. So we should maybe not do an ice bucket challenge. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but maybe we should come up with a different kind of challenge. We should. That would be a good idea for maybe yeah. something else that people don't think about, raise awareness. Right. Exactly. Huh. Um, that could be you know it's the end of the year coming up we got we got to have our end of year episode next week and talk about our resolutions and all of that all right and let's talk about and we'll find something that we want to spotlight and what challenge we'll make we'll make one up okay sounds good resolutions and and we'll throw back to our last year's uh, resolution throw back to it our last year's resolution was to get interviews and we've had so many people should check them out so we'll talk about that next week okay Hold on. So what are we doing today, Lauren? Um, today, I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit because I told you about this podcast. We don't we usually talk about books, movie, TV, but I wanted to talk about another podcast today called Dr. Death. It's this yeah. very famous podcast that just had a season two, I believe, or I just finished the season two anyways. Right. But they're both basically about malpractice and not reporting doctors and people being afraid to report doctors and losing their jobs. But season one was about a neurosurgeon who actually is serving life in prison for maiming and killing people as a neurosurgeon, which is unprecedented that a doctor is serving a life imprisonment. Um, I don't think that's ever happened before. So his name is Christopher Dunst. The mm-hmm. season one, the Texas surgeon who was convicted of gross malpractice after 31 of his patients were left seriously injured. Season two, maybe you heard of, is um, Fareed Fata, and he's an oncologist. Have you heard of that name? No, no, never did. Well, he was recently sentenced to 45 years, which is pretty much going to be his whole life. But it was for, he started his own, he was giving people chemotherapy that didn't need it. He was saying yeah. people had cancer that didn't have cancer and he was treating them for that and making all the, all the money because he had his own services and he was genius, genius. care fraud, like insane. I can't believe he didn't get life in prison, but I mean, 45 years, it's going to be his whole life anyways. But I'm surprised you didn't hear about him. They said his operation, just like a one man operation was basically like the billing of Cedar sinai Wow. Like that's genius. how much he was taking in. And, wow. it, and he was reported and it took a really long time for him to be convicted. And I was kind too of bad, wondering. Too bad he got caught. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you would know, like, what, what does giving someone chemotherapy that doesn't need it do to their body? You know, before I say that, to some degree, you know, when you, when, 
the guy's a criminal, but yeah. you know, for sure deserves to be, you know, punished. But you know, the saying behind any great fortune is a great crime. No, I don't think you I never, think. you never heard that no, behind no. any great fortune no, is, a, is a great no. crime. So it just makes me think that that's, you know, the people who get rich get for any reason in my mind, either get rich because they're, they inherit it from family, dumb luck, some great gift that they've been given, mm-hmm. or some great crime that they covered up or, you know, not a great crime, but some kind of crime, you know, whether it's the railroads or the, you know, back in the day, you know, all the big money people, the robber barons and all of that. They, you know, the people who you hear, you know, make a zillion dollars, they're not good people. Right. Most of the time, unless they're lucky or whatever, in my mind. I mean, you know, I'm sure some of them are wonderful people, but I think most people who are that successful, usually in my mind, are shrewd and typically not great people. You know, mm-hmm. they then become great people after they get rich to account for all their, you know, sins and atone for their sins. So, I don't know. That was just my weird thought I had before you tell me about this horrible person. No, I I don't disagree. But both of my point is both of the podcasts, they all have like nurses and different people who come forward. You know, they try to fill out the paperwork and nothing really happens. And then they talk to other hospital workers. They're like, why didn't you say anything? And they're scared that they're going to lose their jobs. Or in some instances, they have lost their jobs before for reporting a doctor. And the whole time I'm thinking this is an interesting story, but I, I think it kind of gives the majority of doctors, like it does them an injustice because I know of talking to so many doctors on this podcast, how much you guys have to pay in malpractice insurance and how well you do your jobs. And so part of my fear about the podcast, as well as I think that it's done is that it scares people from going to the doctor. Right. Right. Well, it's kind of the same thing as like the whole Harvey Weinstein thing. How did that guy, you know, get to be doing what he was doing for that long? Like, aren't there powerful Hollywood people that could have put a stop to it? Like these people with huge platforms, but no one came forward until people finally came forward. And those people are powerful. Mm -hmm. Like a, a nurse doesn't have the power that some celebrity, mega celebrity has, and they didn't go forward. Mm-hmm. Why should a nurse who's who's making, you know, nothing compared to these celebrities who's worried about repercussions come forward? And so it it makes tons of sense and and that people are afraid because it's scary to rock the boat. It's not easy to and it's scary to do the right thing a lot of times. And sometimes you 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 know, I don't know this guy. This guy was probably a, a degenerate criminal, but but sometimes it's good people doing stupid things and mm-hmm. and and you don't want to take a good person down. Or sometimes it's a, it's a person who's a great doctor treating people, doing amazing stuff and doing something shady. And you say to you, and you try to justify it and you say, look at all the good this doctor is doing for these other people. So people turn a blind eye who, I don't know what it is. I, I, I you know, um, but there's always going to be crappy people. There's always going to be criminals in, every profession and every field, um, there's always going to be bad people. And, and as long as people realize um, that that's not the majority of doctors, that, that, that most doctors go into it, you know, it's not like the character from Little Shop of Horrors, you know, the Steve Martin character 
who became a dentist because he loves causing people pain, right? right. You know that? Yeah. yeah. Most of the time, it's not that. It, you know, it, it's because, you know, I, I run this pre-med program and I read a zillion applications of all these kids who write their essays. Everybody says it's because of this desire to do good and desire to heal and desire for equity and, and you know, for health equality and all, all of that. And, 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 you know, and it's horrible that one person or a group of people, you know, will take the profession down. You know, we just watched The Undoing. We talked about The Undoing a little bit, right? Did you watch that with you? did Grant? watch it. We were going to save our thoughts for that for this episode. So feel right. like to talk about it. So, so you watched The Undoing, correct? Yeah. Correct. And we watched The Undoing, the Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman thing, who, by the way, I love. Uh, and and I, actually, they're both amazing in it. Um, but um, it paints doctors poorly there, too, you know? And, and that's one of the things I didn't like about it is, mm-hmm. is the negative depiction of doctors in that. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that because... It's hard for me to believe you grants a doctor, so I guess I just didn't put that together. Right. Not that he did a good job, but yeah. So I think it's easy, though, in oncology to some degree. You know, the the an oncologist's job basically is to give chemotherapy, and chemotherapy mm-hmm. treats um, different types of cancers, and um, usually it's a pretty toxic thing. Um, because it, it kills often the rapidly dividing cells, um, which are cancer cells most of the time, but there are a lot of other cells that are rapidly dividing and rapidly changing and rapidly growing, like our skin and our intestinal tract and our lining of our intestinal tract and, and that's why, and our hair follicles. And that's why you see patients on chemotherapy lose their hair because it, it triggers those rapidly growing things as well as the rapidly going, growing cancers. And that's why patients get a lot of stomach intestinal issues and problems because mm-hmm. our intestinal lining, just like our skin is flaking and sloughing and, and reproducing. Um, those chemotherapies cost a lot of money, both for the doctor to purchase and then they upsell them because that's how they make their money. But they're very expensive even just to buy. And then there's a decent upsell and, th- and that's where a lot of money is made. And I would have to think that's like so rare. Like he... Like yeah. no, one, no one gives their patient chemotherapy if they don't need it. That's right. why that was sensational. Right, right. But, you know, it, unfortunately, it's easy to, to focus to some degree on, you know, doctors are supposed to be these, you know, just do-gooders only. But at the same time, we're trying to make a living and, and we're paying so much in malpractice and we've spent so much money and time, you know, sometimes... 10 to 15 years of training and loss of income during those 10 to 15 years and loss of, you know, other stuff. And, and then you're supporting a practice and a family and you're, it's easy to understand why a person may focus on the economics and lose sight a little bit of the, of, of, you know, just the do-gooding. Of the patients. Yeah. Like some doctors might see too many patients and not really pay attention to them. Like I'm sure that, is more common. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, you see, you, you know, one of the things about surgery is a surgeon goes into surgery because they want to do surgery. They want to cut. And, and it's, I often tell patients and doctors and people that it's very easy as a surgeon to do surgery, to operate. 
The hard part of being a surgeon is to decide who you're not doing surgery on, who you're saying, you know what, I think we could get you better without a surgery. Hmm. Or, you know what, maybe surgery isn't the right thing for you. Maybe you need XYZ or maybe you need chemotherapy if you have cancer. That's a much harder decision. That's much harder as a doctor to do um, because then you're kind of stuck making sure the patient's okay and making sure your decision not to do surgery um, isn't going to hurt them any further. And I often say, so it, it's, it's really easy to do surgery. It's a lot harder to, to try to think about getting you better without surgery. And that's, you know, I like to pat myself on the back saying I'm faulted as one of the kind, one of the surgeons that actually tends to always look for ways not to operate. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny, sometimes I'll have a patient come in who I'll say right off the bat, you, you need surgery. And they think, whoa, this guy's, you know, knife happy. And I'm like, listen, not me. The first season one is about a neurosurgeon. And it did seem like he just liked to cut and did not know what he was doing once he was in their spine. And that's why he maimed so many people. Yeah. But that also brings up the question, like, I'm sure you've never seen anything like that before. Because we talked, we talked to your friend, Dr. 90210, about this. And he's from Brazil. And he said, when he came to America, it's such a difference in, like, how much time doctors spend, like, or how much time you spend in school to become a doctor. No other country compares to, like, the amount of hours, like, you guys are doing surgeries before you even become a surgeon. Yeah. But, you know, another person we interviewed, um, you know, a friend of ours who we interviewed on one of our podcasts had a pretty interesting story of his own. And I'm not going to use, maybe I, I'm not going to use his name, um, but he, he had the story of, his narcotic addiction and what went down the pathway for him after he developed a narcotic addiction and started writing prescriptions to patients for narcotics that didn't need him. And he would fill that prescription and give it to Uh him, use it himself. And, and he was popping a ton of narcotics and, and there's, you know, there's, you know, every story, you know, you hear the saying that there's always three sides to, to every story, you know, there's, Uh there's, what one person says, the other person says, and then the truth or something. So, you know, I've heard both sides of that guy's story. Um, it's interesting. It's almost a yeah, whole other that's kind of like, did you ever watch Nurse Jackie? That's kind of what she does. She's right. addicted to opioids and she goes down a really bad path too. Right. Yeah. I watched some of those. Those were fun. So you, I don't know if you can say or not, but have you... Well, let's just take it back to basics. Like your medical peer review, which people, which I've seen in ER, Dr. House, how does that go? Is that when a surgery goes bad and a patient is suing and then you guys all have to review the case? No. So surgery has this thing, actually a lot of the departments do, but the department of surgery really has this thing called the Morbidity and Mortality Conference, the M&M Conference. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. Yes. Right. And every week, Typically, um, we're supposed to go over all of the complications and deaths that occurred uh, for the week. And some of them are expected deaths or expected complications. You know, the patient had a bleeding disorder and wound up bleeding, you know, or, or, you know, the patient, you know, had uh, a perforated appendicitis and got an abscess after surgery, a pocket of pus that had to be drained to some degree. That's a complication that they got the abscess, but it's a nature of the disease, you mm-hmm. know? So, so we go over all of those things that occur 
after a surgery or related to a surgery, um, and we try to explain it exactly like I said. Is it is it an error? Is it a, or is it you know an expected complication or an expected thing that arose from it? And we try to learn from it. And actually, one of my partners, Dr. Leo Gordon, who's an amazing man, who we talked about, who was uh, honored uh, at Cedar Sinai with a uh, with an award just now of um, Master Clinician. Uh, that I, I presented it, the award to him. We're going to have him as a guest uh, uh, in the new year. He used to run this meeting and and kind of codified it into, and we'll talk about it, and codified it into a whole curriculum about really learning from our mistakes. And, you know, one thing I say is we can totally, as doctors, eliminate patient mistakes. We, we could eliminate them to 100%. We could have zero errors and zero mistakes. Do you know how we could do that? Not see a patient? Correct. Mm-hmm. That's the only way. Because at the end of the day... Wait, like I let said, me say it. The belly knows no book. The right? belly don't read no book. The belly That's, don't read no book. Dang it, I missed it up. At the end of the day, the belly don't read no book, A, exactly. In other words, you know, you have a textbook and you have an anatomy, an atlas, but there's always going to be differences. There's, nobody is the same. But the other thing is, we're always going to make mistakes, unfortunately. And, it, and that's not the problem. The mistakes aren't the problem. It's, it's what we do with the mistakes and how we handle the mistakes and how we learn from the mistakes. And, and that's a problem that these TV shows, which they're, uh, these podcasts that are becoming TV shows and all, uh, you know. Yeah, they are them. becoming, t- those right. both becoming TV shows, Dr. Death. Exactly. Who portray these doctors, you know, it's glorious and it's entertaining but it, it sheds a bad light on docs who, because patients think I get sick, it's the doctor's responsibility, the hospital's responsibility to make me better. And what they forget is, what people forget is, is everyone's going to die. Everyone's going to probably get sick of something at some point in time. And stuff's going to happen. We're going to do our best to try to get you better and see what we can do. Mm-hmm. But stuff's going to happen. And the reality is, is, not every doctor is a 20-year veteran, 20-plus-year veteran. You know, in, in order for new doctors to come, they're going to be new doctors. In order to right. get new doctors, they're going to be new doctors. And, and someone's going to have, those doctors are going to have to be new at some point, and they're going to have to be working on someone at some point. And yeah. it's just the reality. No, that's true, but it seems like, so it's, wait, it's morbid mortality, MM. Morbidity and mortality. So, so complications M- and deaths, the M&M meeting. Well, it seems like if the hospital in Texas where, where season one was filmed with a neurosurgeon that maimed so many people, if they would have had those, they would have caught this. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if they did. But it seems like if you had a doctor that kept doing this, yeah, and, would, and I've seen, and it I've would, seen. It would be reported without ever being reported because everyone's right. seeing it on the screen. Yeah, and I've seen doctors get kicked off staffs of hospitals and things like that. But then at other hospitals, they could potentially fly under the radar. That's um, what it said. That's what it yeah. said. Yeah, it's easy to leave another hospital and go to another one, which I never knew before that. Yeah, and and I think and I think um, and I think that's one of the problems with with the whole healthcare system is that because doctors years ago, you know, before I was a doctor, you know, our forefathers of medicine, I think kind of 
didn't protect medicine enough um, and kind of, I don't know, the, the whole system got screwed up. So right now we have these insurance companies and we have malpractice, insurance companies to pay malpractice that it should be that the doctors are responsible to police ourselves, to govern ourselves and look after ourselves and not have to worry about, you know, these other parties. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sucking our income away. You know, it's crazy. We pay billers. We pay our billers. So so I earn money taking care of someone and I give a big percent of that away to to people who are billing for me. Like the fact that I have to... Yeah, I think that's... To a biller, it's, it's... there's just so many people taking, taking, taking mm-hmm. um, that it's that it's easy to find a, to not focus on the policing of ourselves and governing of ourselves because we got so much other crap going on. To some yeah, no, and I think that's why we are going to have Dr. Gordon on our show soon. And I, yeah, I would love to get into that with him. Like, it seems like what he's created is an easy solution, and then it doesn't cost doctors a fortune, and it's one right. less thing you guys have to do because you so much on your plate but all hospitals are supposed to or at least all academic hospitals are supposed to have this kind of morbidity and mortality conference there is always a peer review but the other thing that could happen is sometimes is depending on how sick these patients are there's certain expectations too you know we we, we have a patient actually who i i, I don't know if the surgery is going to be canceled or not who has a very serious tumor growing that we know going in, the patient may not survive the operation or the whole ordeal. And, and so, so God forbid we lose the patient, the patient dies. We have to, as the doctors, document the conversations we had with the patients, how sick the patient is, all the pre, pre, um, conditions, all, all the, all, all the pitfalls, all the things that could go wrong so maybe that doctor did such a good job with every patient kind of falsifying how sick, how expected these things were, you know, who knows? Right. Right. You know, yeah, that makes sense. That's, yeah. That's a lot to, that's a lot to deal with. That's kind of why I think if I didn't do this podcast, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be so like a little bit offended by the doctor deaths because I do think you're right. It just, uh, it sensationalizes doctors in a bad light. Yeah. What I did love, though, uh, speak, you know, going back to is the movie Catch Me If You Can. Um, yes, that's what I thought of, too, when I was thinking of uh, the Dr. Death season one. It's like, how do you how do you become a fake doctor? <laughs> like, yeah, like the way Leonardo DiCaprio was able to become. A and actually, even before that, um, the movie that it was based on was a movie with Tony Curtis. Um uh, what is it called? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I didn't know. I thought it was, I didn't know it was based on another movie. Or oh, great. I mean, it's based on a real life story, but the, the movie with Tony Curtis. Oh yeah, it is based on a real life story. I did know that, but I didn't know. Um, it's really a fun movie, but it's amazing. Back in the day, it was so much easier to, um, to fake things and do things. And, mm-hmm. you know, who knows how many, you know, people's, you know, resumes and who knows what, you know, are real. Right. Today, you can't get away with that kind of thing. But back in the yeah. day, no, you, know, you yeah. Both doctors in each season were real doctors, but um, 
yeah, they got away with a lot. But it did make me think of Catch Me If You Can and Leonardo, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio being a fake doctor, which was yeah. a brilliant performance. Yeah, but it's based on a true story, which is amazing. And supposedly, at least if it is the same story as The Great Imposter, he actually, they, they thought he was a good doctor. Like it wasn't like he was a bad doctor, which is super interesting. But occasionally you hear stories of people practicing medicine without a license too, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and it just amazes me that, that that could happen. But Well, like the thing now too with the internet is anybody can have a website and you just believe it because you don't know how not to believe it. That's you a know? good point like, too. Like they can have customer testimonials that are fake. So you're thinking like, oh, he sounds like a good doctor. Right. Sounds like I'm a- not really a doctor. I, I just <laughs> play one on the podcast. So, but how do you, as a doctor, you go see other doctors, do you ever get second opinions? Like, how do you know when to get a second opinion? Like, that's the main problem. Getting a second opinion is a great idea. If ever, I tell patients all the time who see me too, I I say, totally get a second opinion, get a third opinion. The most important thing is really to feel comfortable with that doctor. And especially if it's some kind of spine surgery, I, I tell patients or something, you know, where there's a high chance of problems, not just lack of success, but problems. I say, get multiple opinions. Mm-hmm. And I like to refer people to the, to the doctors that aren't knife happy, getting back to, you know, the, those are the docs I, because that's what I think is a good doctor. A good surgeon is someone who looks not to cut, to see, to, you know, Cutting is a last resort. You know, we, we, we have to do, or chemo too, same kind of thing. You know, I, I know some amazing oncologists who will treat sick and dying patients who I, who, but it, to some degree, it's a judgment call also, you know, but I, there's some patients who I think, you know what, that patient, you know, should be left alone to die. You know, that what, what is life for? You know, they're on death's door, why are you going to give, get this patient even sicker and give them chemo, da-da-da? And I've often felt that about certain oncologists that I see. But then that same oncologist, you know, I'll see a patient who I had thought, oh, that patient's going to be dead in, in, a, in a, just a few days or weeks. And they show back up looking better than ever because that doctor decided to go, you know, be a, be a little out of the book and, and be mm-hmm. aggressive. And that same doctors kept people alive, you know, doing stuff that's a little out there. And, but so I don't know. Yeah. So you're a big believer in second opinions. I mean, big I think believer. if anyone listens to Dr. Death season two, they're definitely going to start getting more second opinions. Yeah. But I, but I think the tendency is today, a lot of people, or at least people who are savvy get second opinions. The one thing I hate though, is a lot of patients there are two things I hate about the whole second opinion thing. I hate when a doc, when a patient keeps that a secret from me, like patients love to not tell you stuff or, or some patients love yeah. to like withhold information because they're testing you or, or they're, <laughs> I would I not appreciate that. that. Yeah. Like, and you, sometimes you could see in the record, you know, that they've seen two or three people and they flat out lie to you. Mm-hmm. And that's really a pet peeve of mine it, or, you know, the other thing that's sometimes frustrating is the patients who get like four or five opinions and, yeah, and sometimes it's a, a simple thing. And they're, and one of my old partners used to say, oh yeah, those patients, they finally decide who to go with 
when they just get too exhausted and, and they finally wind up being at that person's office when they're exhausted and they stay with that doctor. Mm-hmm. And that's another f- funny, strange, odd phenomenon is, is the zillion opinion patients. That is odd. Yeah. All right. So Dr. Cohen to wrap up, um, I would say, okay. are you watching any holiday movies? And it just occurred to me, is there any like Hanukkah movie? That's like, what's a Hanukkah movie? We need to make one. Maybe you should make one. There needs to be like a great Hanukkah movie to go. Adam Sandler did Eight Crazy Nights, but I don't think, I think it was an animated thing. I never saw it. Oh, of course. I don't know if it did well. Workaholic. I don't think there are really any like Hanukkah movies. Um, Seems like a missed opportunity. Perhaps. Perhaps. But we're watching Big Mouth season four. I think Big Mouth is brilliant. The season. Uh, is not as brilliant as the first season, but I but there's brilliance within within it. I, I think I just think that the beautiful thing about Big Mouth is, and this is what I tell people. What I really like about Big Mouth is, and and this is what I tell people is that it lets kids know who are going through because everybody goes through it. You know, ten to ten year olds. You know, from age nine or ten up to seventeen, basically you're going through a lot of weird stuff and you're thinking a lot of weird things. And I think Big Mouth lets you know that you're not alone and you're not cra- as crazy as you think you are. And you're not as deviant as you think you are. And you're not as, uh, you know, as bad or, or you're not alone. And that everybody goes through a lot of this stuff. And, and that's what I love about it. And it kind of normalizes everything, you know, whether it's, depression, anxiety, puberty, sex, you know, the whole masturbation, everything. I, I think it's, it, it really lets kids know that you're normal, you know, and, and that's what I love about it. I think that's really great. And I think, I don't think there's anything offensive about that at all. I think that's you know, helpful. Especially now during COVID, I, I think it's even more helpful, you know? Okay, great. Well, My kids are embarrassed that I watch it though. <laughs> thank you, Lauren. All right. Bye. Thanks, Dr. Cohen. Bye, Lauren. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.